We'd love to give you on uh, your way out. Uh, we know it's hard to walk into a new church, and we're uh, just grateful to have you with us um, this morning. Well, if you're sitting at the end of the aisle, uh, there are clipboards there. Go ahead and, and grab one, uh, begin to fill it out, and you can pass it uh, down. And uh, in the clipboards are prayer cards that we want to be a, a church that prays for and with one another. And so if there are any ways we can pray for you as a church, uh, please fill out that card. We'd love uh, to do that. And you can either drop it in the offerings and gifts box, or you can hand it to me or to Andrew, the pastoral staff. We'd be glad uh, to pray for you even this morning if that's, uh, if that's what you need. Um, but speaking of the, the offering and gift box, that's one of the ways that we worship our God here is, is through giving of our, our tithes and our offerings. So if you came uh, prepared to worship in that way, we'd love, uh, you can drop your offering in the box or you can give online or via PushPay, your mobile device um, as well. Well, a couple uh, announcements um, that are important. First, uh, we have a 50s Plus Group uh, event um, this uh, Saturday. Is that, I didn't write that part down. Saturday, I'm not invited, so that's why I didn't remember the day. Uh, but uh, Saturday at 5.30 p.m., it's at Dennis and Jan Stewart's house, uh, dinner and, and a social. And so if you could RSVP um, to them, let them know whether or not you're able to make it. That would be uh, great. And then also there's a newcomer coffee coming up on April 2nd, um, a couple Sundays um, ahead. And so if, uh, if you're newer and you're, you have questions or you'd like to just meet some other newish folks to uh, Christ Community, we'd love um, to have you there for uh, that newcomer on April uh, 2nd. Uh, well, that before we jump into the message, um, we're in a, a season of, of Lent. Um, this, uh, over the, of course, the uh, 46 days is, is how long it goes um, from Ash Wednesday to Easter Sunday. And, and sort of intentionally, we lined up uh, um, the last week of Jesus' life as told by Matthew with this Lenten um, season. And so just kind of as, as we're almost halfway through that, that part of the series, um, just wanted to pause and pray for this season as a church. Lent is a time when we reflect on our, our own lives and our own uh, sinfulness, the need for Jesus to go to the cross for us. And so rather than let that, um, let that pass with us, we just wanted to pause, pray um, as a church for this season for uh, one another, and then, uh, and then Andrew will come and, and preach. So let us, let us pray as we um, enter into this message. <clears throat> our Father God, in this season, Lent, we, your church, are reminded of, of two things. The first, we are our great sinners. That we all come in with habits that we long to break and yet seem trapped in. We all have desires that we're, we're trying to meet that you have told us will not lead to joy, yet we keep pursuing them. God, we read of Jesus last week. We see him rejected by people claiming to worship you. We read the rejection of Jesus by his own friends, and we fear, will we reject you too? God, we live in rhythms where we forget you. We struggle to make time to pray or to worship. We find our schedules crowding you out, and yet we long for rest. And so, Lord, in this season of, of Lent, as we pause and reflect on the last week of Jesus' life, reveal to us the ways we are living that are broken that will never give us the joy that we long for. And yet, O oh Lord, Lent is not just a reminder that we are great sinners, but also that Jesus is a great Savior. And so we come to this last week of Jesus' life, and while we find sinners like us gathered against Jesus, we find Jesus there praying for us. We find him on the way to the garden praying for us, that we, his church, would love one another so that the world would know there's hope. We find him in the garden praying for us, for our salvation, even though it meant his own death on a cross. And we find him praying on that cross, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. And so in this season of Lent, confronted with our sin, our inadequacies, our brokenness, 
Help us to see Jesus praying for us. As the book of Hebrews says, help us to see Jesus as he is living to make intercession for us. That Jesus was praying for us yesterday. Will pray for us while we sleep tonight. He prays for us even now. And so we join his prayer that we, his church, would be a blessing to our city, to our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our homes, but above all to one another here in your church. May our love and unity and humility towards one another be a reminder to this world that we great sinners have a great Savior in Jesus Christ. So now as we pause to listen to your word, Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes to a fresh experience of your grace and truth. Would you open our hearts to whatever you have for us, we pray this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, it's good uh, good to be together this morning, as always. Uh, I echo Tim's sentiments if you are new. A special welcome to you. We're really glad that you have chosen to worship with us here this morning. My name is Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here. And kids, also I want to remind you, if you do not grab a Kid Connect on your way in, or adults for that matter, if you want to grab one, you can always. That, that invitation is always open for you. Uh, it's a good way to stay kind of uh, in tune with what's going on throughout the sermon. Well, most of you know that uh, I've got an almost two-year-old, um, Evie, who is a bundle of fun at home. Uh, we've also got another one on the way, which is a fun, kind of a fun new uh, season right now. Um, and many of you are there with us. You uh, are in that same season or you've been there before, which means you know what it means to tell a toddler or a little one, no. You know that we're getting really good at saying that. Uh, and so is Evie, for that matter. She's got her own way of saying no. Uh, and look, I don't like it. I don't like to say no, uh, right? I'd rather not have to deny her anything. And, and truth be told, sometimes I don't, especially uh, just to avoid like the public meltdown. Uh, those are the times I, I'm kind of a softy push over there. Uh, but I need to tell her no sometimes for her own good, right? Uh, that's, that's parenting. No, you can't have cookies for breakfast. Uh, no, you, can, you should not climb the, the loft railing as the long fall down into our living room. Uh, no, you're never going to watch Caillou ever. Uh, yes, see, I told you. Some of you are right there with us right now. You know Caillou is awful. Uh, but sometimes parents have to tell their kids no. And kids, I'm sorry. That, that's a hard truth maybe to hear this morning. But your parents are really trying to do what's best for you. But what do you do when God tells you no? When you get to that place where, where you're... You're pouring out your heart to God, you're asking, you're requesting of him, and you are denied by your heavenly father. Whether you're a Christian or not, uh, you've probably prayed at some point in your life to God or to the universe or to really, frankly, anyone out there that would hear you. And if you've prayed, which, which research shows that we have, you've probably had the experience of not getting the answer to the prayer that you prayed. And maybe that's caused you to doubt or maybe even walk away from God. I know many, there are a lot of heartbreaking stories in this room. Stories of loss, stories of marriages that are failing or have failed. A life longing for a spouse, sickness and pain that just will not go away. The death of loved ones, even, even children. And I bet that in every one of those situations, there's a good chance you prayed. And in fact, I know I've prayed with many of you in the middle of those situations. You've prayed for God to act, to rescue, to heal, to just to salvage. 
And the answer has come back as a de facto no. And perhaps in that moment, you the, the moment of realizing that God is telling you no, or maybe just you're not sure if he hears, whatever it is, you feel alone, you feel abandoned, as if God doesn't hear you, doesn't care, that he, he doesn't understand what it's like. With that in mind, we're going to read Matthew, uh, our, our text for this morning, Matthew chapter 26 is where we are in this gospel, the final week of Jesus' life, like Tim said. Um, if you have a Bible, turn there, Matthew 26, I'm going to read verses 36 through 46. So hear God's word. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Jesus knows what it's like. He knows what it's like to pour out his prayer to plead with God and to be told no. And yet this morning, as we, as we look at this passage, one thing is unmistakable. Even when God says no to you, always say yes to him. Or another way to say it, as Jesus has modeled for us, always say yes to God, even when he says no to you. Always say yes to God, even when he says no to you. It's what we see Jesus doing in this, in this passage. The very son of God pleading with God the Father, and the son surrendering, saying, not my will, but your will be done. Saying yes to God, even when he says no to us. It's not easy. In fact, for many here, it's probably going to be one of the hardest things we ever do. But it's good. It is the way to the life that we long to live. One of the many paradoxes of following Jesus uh, that we've seen in this Gospel of Matthew, that saying yes to God, even when he is saying no to us, perhaps over a lifetime, is the only way to lasting joy. So how do we pray like that? How do we trust like that? Well, of course, we're not going to answer that question fully this morning. Uh, but our passage gives us a starting place, uh, some, some footholds, some handles for how to, how to pray with honesty and urgency and, and, and relentlessly to God. So let's re-enter the story that we left off last week. Um, we were in the upper room with Jesus and his disciples, where Jesus has shared, he shared this final meal uh, with the 12, including his betrayer, Judas, this Passover meal that they shared together. Matthew says that after singing together, verse, uh, 30, verse 30, after they sung a hymn, Jesus and his disciples, they leave the room, and they return to the Mount of Olives above the city 
uh, overlooking Jerusalem. It's a beautiful setting for these, in, these intimate final moments together uh, with, his 12, with his disciples. But these aren't happy and sentimental final moments together. Jesus has already made it painfully clear that one of them will be- betray him, uh, much to the dismay of all of them, right? It says, the text says they were, they were all sorrowful, like, that's not me, right? Can't be me. And now Jesus predicts that, in fact, they will all fall away. Verse 31 says, then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. They will all leave him because of what's about to happen in the next couple hours. The sheep will scatter once the shepherd is struck and gone. And Peter, Peter can't take it. Uh, Peter pipes up as, as usual, right? He says, even if everyone else leaves you, Jesus, even if everyone falls away and goes, goes to the side, I won't. I, will, I would die with you before I leave you. And everyone agrees, right? There's lots of nods. Yeah, 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 what he said. Verse 35, and all the disciples said the same. Now, we'll spend more time on this, that particular uh, text, both the, the denial, uh, Peter's denial of Jesus, the betrayal of Judas. That, that's all coming next week. We're going to spend a little bit more time uh, on betrayal because uh, we certainly all need that time in this text. That's crucial for our own following of Jesus to understand what's happening here. But for this morning, these verses, they just set the bleak scene for what we're, we're going to spend time with this morning. That is Jesus' prayer in the garden, right? He's quickly approaching his death. And Jesus says his closest friends will scatter when the chips are down. So he, he tells them to stay there while he goes off to pray, right? They're, they've gone into, up to the mount. They're headed to Gethsemane. And he says, stay here while I, go, while I go off to pray. And it's worth noting that this probably isn't a first for these guys, right? Jesus, uh, especially Luke in his gospel, records the fact that Jesus goes off he withdraws to pray all the time. It's a normal habit, a normal rhythm for him. So he goes off to pray, but he takes with him uh, the, his closest friends, Peter, James, and John. And remember, these three, they are the ones who saw him in glory in the transfiguration. They've seen him at the height of his power and his majesty and his glory, but they've never seen him like this. They've never seen him in this kind of pain. This kind of sorrow. Look at verse 38. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. He's vulnerable here with his closest friends. He says, I'm in agony. agony. My My soul is suffocating. I've never felt this kind of pain. I'm glad you're here, but I need to go on. Stay, stay here and pray with me. And then he presses deeper into the garden, probably barely able to keep moving, right? Just the thought of what's coming and the just paralyzing pain for Jesus. Right? He's going to a Roman cross <laughs> to be crucified. He's been predicting it uh, all throughout Matthew's gospel, right, the last several chapters. And he knows the Old Testament prophecy better than anyone. This is the way it has to be. He knows he's going to die on a cross, and it's a terrible way to die. Unspeakable pain and suffering, the the public humiliation and the shame, the scorn and the indifference and even the enjoyment of the crowd, 
crucifixion is the worst, it is the worst form of execution. And he'll endure it completely on his own. Forsaken, deserted, abandoned. He has known about his death, and now in the garden, at this moment, the reality of all that the cross entails, has, it hits him in full force. Verse 39, and going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed. My father, if it be possible, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus, in these moments of great pain, of anguish, he needs to be with his father in prayer, and he falls on his face and cries out to him. I mean, his sorrow has actually brought him to the point of, of double-checking the plan. <laughs> he says, is there another way? There's, there has to be another way. Father, I can't do this. This is unbearable. It's been, it's been incredible to try to sit with Jesus in these moments here this past week. I mean, on the one hand, this has been the plan since before time itself. This was established before eternity past, Father, Son, Spirit. This is the plan. Jesus was coming to die. He knew that. There's no other way. And yet here he is. He's facing the soul suffocating reality of the fact that he's going to the cross and he's going to be crushed by it. And he says, are, are we sure about this, Father? Are we sure? Do I have to die like this? And he says, notice, he says, my father. This is very personal. He's not crying out to the universe, <laughs> complaining out loud. He's talking to his father. It's personal and honest. It's raw. It's unfiltered. It's how he taught his disciples how to pray. Remember in Matthew 6, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Get alone with my father and pray to him. Say, our father. And then he says, let this cup pass. He's honest, right? This is a straight request from Jesus. And throughout scripture, the cup, he's talking about the cup is, is a symbol for divine destiny, whether it's blessing, whether it's curse, destruction, or punishment. And in this case, it is the wrath of God for the sin of the world. So Jesus says, let, let it pass. He's torn apart by the road ahead, and it's not just the physical pain that he dreads. It's not just the fact that his friends will scatter, though that's immensely painful. No, he asks for the cup of God's wrath to pass, the burden of bearing the sins of the world on his shoulders, the weight of paying the price that you and I and really everyone but him deserves to pay. This prayer is honest and personal. Jesus, Jesus lays it all out there with this request, and yet he is submissive to his Father. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus is on the brink of accomplishing his life's work. It's what he came to do, and I cannot imagine the temptation to bail at this point. <laughs> and instead, he surrenders completely to his Father in prayer, your will, not mine. Now, this is, this is an intense scene that we should all feel deeply with Jesus. But there are also some things that we can learn about prayer. Remember, some handles from this story that we can take, grab onto 
when it comes to learning how to pr- pray, learning how to say yes to God, even when he says no to, to us. And I want to step out of the story just for a moment to make some observations. First, Jesus models for us how to pray honestly. How to pray honestly. When we approach God in prayer, we should pray like this. Even when we think, even when you think you know what you should say, right? You may believe the lie that you need to have it all together when you come to God. That you need a spiritual vocabulary and a clean nose and all the other, all the other religious activity that we often associate with talking to God. And growing up in church basically my whole life, I learned a certain kind of language for prayer, right? Polished and precise and flowery, spiritual, rote. And we're all learning how to pray uh, somewhere, even if you don't think that you pray often, right? We learn culturally or from growing up in church how to pray. Jesus taught his disciples, again, how to pray in Matthew 6. We're going to go there even more in detail. He says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He says, pray, pray honestly, not with empty words and phrases. And then he gives an example of how to pray. Jesus himself learned how to pray. He learned how to pray from the Psalms, right? Talk about honest prayers. David holds nothing back in the Psalms, and Jesus, he holds nothing back here. And you know, when I've learned how to pray, uh, really is in crisis or desperation or sadness or temptation, failure, despair. And I know many of you are in a similar place this morning. And let me encourage you and challenge you to pray honestly. Go to God. I mean, he knows your heart, right? Begin where you are. Tell God how you actually feel. You're not going to fool him. Nor can you manipulate him. Be honest with God in prayer. A second observation before we step back into the story. Jesus models honest prayer, and he also shows us how to pray dependently. Or submissively, you could say. When we talk to God, we should have this attitude even when we can't imagine any other way than our own, right? Jesus doesn't just say what's on his mind, but he submits it to the will of his Father. In fact, honest prayer is easy uh, in comparison to actually meaning your will be done. (laughs) Because we constantly believe the lie that we know what's best for our own lives, right? And that we have the ability to bring it about about (laughs) in our own power in our own way, or at least to kind of pull God over to our side of kind of our way of seeing things. You might remember another garden in scripture, not Gethsemane, but Eden, right? All the way back in Genesis, 
Adam and Eve in Genesis 1 and 2, and then, and then Genesis 3, tempted by the serpent to turn their back on God, and the enemy succeeds, doesn't he? He gets them to say the exact opposite of Jesus here. Gets them to say, no, our will be done, not yours. And each of us say the same if we're honest, right? Because we're convinced that we know what the good life looks like for us. But if anything has become clear in my own study of Matthew in this gospel, it's that my definition of the good life and Jesus' definition of the good life are usually at odds with one another. And my prayer reflects this. I was also struck this week by an important question. Who are you praying to? (laughs) Jesus here, he addresses his father, and he knows exactly who he's talking to. Are you praying to the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the triune God, Father, Son, Spirit, in all of his wildness and sovereignty, all of his wisdom and power and love and goodness? Or is it something or someone that you've made up, who views the world the same way that you do? with just the same amount of knowledge and the same amount of wisdom and the same amount of power as you. Because look, the intimacy of Jesus' prayer here, where he says, my father, and his submission to that will, they go hand in hand. Jesus knows exactly who he's talking to. He trusts that his father is all-wise and all-powerful and perfectly good. When he says, my father, if it, is, if it is possible, let this cup pass. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Now back to our story. Matthew quickly takes us right after the prayer. He takes us back to where he left, where Jesus left his best friends, his friends who said they would never leave him, his friends who said uh, they would never abandon him, those who said, yeah, I'll, I would die with you before I would forsake you. And they're fast asleep. Imagine the pain of that moment. His closest friends with him in these final hours, armed with the knowledge that a betrayer is in their midst, knowing that Jesus is hours from his death. He asks them to share his sorrow and to pray with him, and they are out cold. And he puts it right to Peter, right? You couldn't stay awake with me for one hour. There is no sense of urgency for the disciples, even as Jesus feels nothing but urgency in these moments. So he repeats the command from an hour earlier, right? This time with with more explanation, verse 41. It says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He again tells them to watch, literally stay awake. And pray so that they won't fall into temptation. And the immediate temptation here, obviously in this story, is to fall asleep. Some of you are feeling that right now. (laughs) If I went on for an hour, right, that'd be tough. But even more, Jesus is looking ahead to what he knows, what he knows they'll face when his betrayer comes, when the trial begins, right? When, When he's condemned in court, when the Roman cross is raised up, The road ahead is dangerous for these men. And they will be tempted to do life without Jesus. They will be tempted to fall away from him. Which is the most dangerous place to be. Jesus knows what it's like to face temptation. He faced it in the desert, right back, way back in 
in the early chapters of Matthew, tempted by the devil. And here, his prayer in this garden is fraught with it. I mean, this is the greatest temptation of Jesus' life. He's tempted to walk away from his mission in the world. And it's worth a third observation right here. Jesus models honest prayer, independent prayer, and he models how to pray urgently. At the same time, the disciples do not. In fact, they may be the better anti-example here. And look, like the disciples, we often think, you and I often think that we can face temptation in our own power, right? We're committed enough. We're strong enough. We're good enough. I've been good lately. Like Peter, we think, I would never, I would never do something like that. I'd never do that. I'd rather die. Verse 35, even if my, I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Look, our spiritual fervor and eagerness, they're not worth a thing if we're not willing to pray. If we're failing to pray. To depend on God's power and not our own. To fight our temptation, the constant temptation to fall away from Jesus. Because we all face it, right? This temptation to walk away from him. So the question is, are you facing it in your own strength? Because Jesus, in the midst of anguish unlike anything else he has ever experienced, he is bearing his soul to his father. He is not facing temptation on his own. Even Jesus. There's a sense of urgency in the face of great temptation. Meanwhile, the disciples, his best friends, they can't, they can't stay awake. Does your prayer life have this sense of urgency? Which is it? You know, that's been a hard question for me to face this week. Are you praying like your life depends on it? Like your marriage depends on it? Like your kids depend on it? Like your integrity depends on it? I know my greatest failures in life have come when I am asleep in the garden, so to speak. Right, oblivious to my need for urgent prayer. Or maybe even convinced that I don't need it. The disciples are sure of their allegiance to this man, and yet we're paragraphs away from a terrible betrayal and an outright denial by his best friends. You and I, we need to pray urgently. All right, back to the story one more time. Pick it up in verse 42. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came back, and they were sleeping again. Jesus here models how to pray relentlessly. It's kind of the final observation from this text. I mean, in the midst of the most severe abandonment, Jesus continues to go back to his father to wash, rinse, and repeat of sorts, right? In this story, the way that Matthew tells it, Jesus leaves his disciples to continue in prayer. He comes back. They're sleeping. He goes back. He says the exact same words again. Matthew makes that really clear. But he doesn't stop praying, not even while it's clear that the answer here is no. He keeps coming back to the Father with the same prayer. And that's because prayer is not first, and Jesus knows this more than, better than anybody. Prayer is not first about results or a transaction or what we can get from God. 
No, prayer is primarily, is not primarily about getting something from God. It is about getting more of God. Prayer is relational to the core. Jesus goes back again and again not to get something from God. The answer is no. He's going to the cross. He is going to die. He prays honestly and dependently and urgently and relentlessly to draw closer to him, to get nearer to his father. In fact, if you don't believe that prayer is primarily relational, if you see it as results and transactional, you can't do any of this. You can't pray honestly. You cannot submit your will to God. You won't. You have to view prayer in the same way that Jesus does here. Now, I know that many of you feel like you're in a similar place to Jesus here this morning. You're desperate, you're in pain, you can't imagine the road ahead, and you've asked God to do something about it for 20 years, and you've been told no more times than you can count. (laughs) Maybe it's a physical condition or a health issue that can't be resolved, not without a miracle. Maybe it's a relationship that just seems hopeless or a financial situation that you couldn't avoid, but is there and is killing you. Whatever it is, it seems like God doesn't care, or he can't hear you, or he isn't strong enough to take care of it. Let this be an encouragement, this text, this scene of Jesus face down in the garden. Let it be an encouragement to you. Jesus is with you in these moments. Keep drawing near to him. Keep going to him. Jesus says yes to his father even as he is told no. And more often than not, I'm learning in my own life at least that God's answers to my prayer are often not, let me take this struggle or this difficulty from you. Look, you know that problem? I'm just going to take it. Rather, the answer is often, my grace is sufficient for you, and my power is made perfect in your weakness. That doesn't mean we don't pray honestly, and dependently, and urgently, and relentlessly. But more and more, I'm also praying, God, would your grace be sufficient? Would your power and glory be made perfect in my weakness, in my inadequacies, in my failures, in my desperation? C.S. Lewis, is, he's famously written in uh, the Screwtape Letters, just a fascinating read, especially around temptation. But he says, Satan's cause is never in more danger than when a follower of Jesus looks around upon the universe in which every trace of God seems to have vanished and asks why he's been forsaken And still obeys. Satan loses when we say yes to God. We know this is true because we see it in the life of Jesus. He always said yes to the Father even when he was told no. Jesus, who is the new Adam, he is the new and better Adam. He reverses what the first one did in the garden. Right In the Garden of Eden, the first Adam said to God, my will be done. And death and enslavement of the whole world, indeed all of humanity was was the result. But Jesus, God the Son, in the Garden of Gethsemane says, says to God the Father, your will be done. And the result is life and freedom and peace and joy 
for all of us. Jesus prayed for salvation in that garden and didn't get it. Instead, he got the salvation of the entire world. God the Father's no to Jesus. Sure, it doesn't fully answer all of his no's to us, but it does assure you that the reason for the no can't be that he doesn't love you. Jesus was told no because the opposite is true. God loves you and wants your best. Believe that this morning, even in the midst of the pain and sorrow of no. Over and over again, of decades of no, even. In Jesus, there is a resounding yes that will last into eternity. Let's pray. Father, truly, Father, as we come before you as your children, we are grateful that you told Jesus no in that garden so that we could be adopted into your family as sons and daughters. Brothers and sisters to Jesus. We stand to inherit all all that he accomplished on the cross. God, thank you that even as Tim prayed that while we are great and terrible sinners, we have a savior who is better, who is greater, who continues to pray on our behalf, who intercedes for us. Thank you that all of that is true this morning, that even in the midst of the sorrow of life, the things that we're facing, the temptation that is great to walk away, God, thank you that you have made a way for us to know you that are And you've you've actually provided for us the power to say no for those things. I pray that we would depend on you in prayer, even for the rest of this morning as we worship. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.